What's going on, coaches? No, it's been a while. Again, uh, in the season, hopefully everyone's doing well. Uh, if you need anything from us, obviously hit us up on Twitter at RunThePower or head over to our website, coach at RunThePower.com. Uh, everyone's looking like they're finishing up district, I'm sure, around the United States. Hopefully you guys have had a great season um, and, and going into the playoffs here shortly. Again, if you need anything from us, just go over to RunThePower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know that the best way to represent our big win is with a big championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you guys celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and as we all want, affordable from design to delivery. To get started, please contact your dedicated Run the Power Legacy Builder, Sam Daniel, at samd at legendrings.com. Let him know that Run the Power sent you and Legend Rings will make your ring for free. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder has recently launched a full year, 52-week football strength and conditioning program that comes free with any Team Builder free trial. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a full year, 52-week football strength and conditioning program that, again, is free with any Team Builder free trial. Visit their website and make sure you enter the code RTP to get their 52-week training program and start your 14-day free trial at teambuilder.com, which is T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we once again talk with Tony Haller. Coach Haller is the creator of Feed the Cats and co-creator of the Track Football Consortium. Listen as we talk with Coach Haller about this past summer's TFC Texas and TFC Iowa, along with a number of other topics regarding speed, practice planning, and athlete recovery. You can follow Coach Haller on Twitter at PNTrack or at TF Consortium. Hope you guys enjoy. So what I want to talk about, obviously, you came down, you came to Texas, you went to Iowa, and, and I'm not sure where all, uh, I, I know you guys are booked, it sounds like all, all summer were booked and, and had places to go, but one of the ones I sat in on, and I can't remember who the guy was, and, and he was really, really good, but it was um, it was like voodoo magic he was doing in there. It was crazy, and I still, I still don't almost believe it. And when I saw it with my own eyes, and I tested it on myself, and it worked, but it still doesn't make any it, – it, it worked. He's exactly right. I thought for sure he was tricking us somehow, uh, but I tried it, and he wasn't. And it was all about, like, if you're working on – one shoulder is doesn't have good range of motion, but your other shoulder does. You work on your good shoulders range of motion, and then all of a sudden you go back to your bad shoulder, and it's got a better range of motion. Uh, he talked a lot about, um, you know, being able to see and, and widening, being able to see like your peripherals and, and how that made your body more comfortable. And anytime your body feels more safe, whether you know it or not, you're able to perform better. He also got up and, and showed, a, like, against a wall, a guy doing a flexibility thing in his knee or his ankle. I couldn't tell what. And then he was rotating the guy's opposite side uh, wrist 
And when he would rotate that wrist in certain directions, it would make his opposite side ankle or opposite side knee uh, flex even more. I'll just say that was the craziest thing I'd ever sat through um, uh, over at TFC. But, man, was it cool. And, and I don't know how much I, I necessarily took from that that, that, I'm, that I'm using right now. But I can say that I, I'm definitely starting to look at when I have trouble areas on kids, I'm starting to look in some of the opposite spaces, uh, especially right now with like hips and being back in hips and and guys not being very very sturdy in their in their upper body or maybe their right shoulder. Talking about getting back further in their left hip. Um, again, I don't I, I don't want to say anything negative about the guy because I don't remember his name. I'm just terrible with names, but it was an unbelievable thing to sit through. Uh, and as were a lot of the things that obviously you guys put on. Yeah, that's Dan Fichter, and Dan is the head football coach at Rondecoit, New York, um, and and Dan was a, a great football player himself and played, uh, I think, some Arena League stuff, and um, he was the guy, he's always been so interested in neurology, uh, you know, hacks for the nervous system, and he's been down this rabbit hole for like 20-some years. He was the, um, I, I believe... Uh, Chris was best man at his wedding or vice versa, maybe both. But Chris Corfus and Dan Fichter go back over 20 years. And um, and Dan was the guy that first discovered Douglas Heel in London. And then Chris Corfus started bringing him over for nine days at a time. They do two weekend workshops. And then, of course, that was called Be Activated, which was all neurological. It's all voodoo stuff. And then be activated became uh, RPR, uh, reflexive performance reset. And so I've been involved in this voodoo stuff about eight years and I'm still learning. I'm like you, uh, the first time I see stuff, I don't, I'm not very good at going home and putting it into use, but because Dan Fichter, I've, we've had 15 TFC so far. And I think Dan has spoke at maybe 12 of them. So he's an insider and and he will always do two sessions on neurology and they're never the same. And, you know, you were talking about opposite. I remember when I dislocated my shoulder very bad um, as a, as a high school quarterback and I was out for the season and my coach told me to throw the ball left-handed that the better I throw left, the better that it's actually working on the right side too. So maybe my old crazy football coach knew something that, uh, you know, that was way in the future. Also, <laughs> We have always run backwards to get better at running forwards. Matter of fact, I tweeted some retro stuff today, and that was stuff I learned from Dan Fichter this weekend. The, the reverse walk, the reverse march, the reverse lunge, the reverse run, all those things do some crazy things neuro neurologically to us. And then the third thing is I used to have this crazy friend that was the um, through the javelin 283 feet, which was a world record in 1983. And, um, and his, the name was Tom Petronoff. And he said that he threw the javelin as many times with his left arm as he did his right. Because just what we're talking about here, there's all kinds of crisscross carryover, uh, huh. cross chain stuff going on. And so it, it's, just, it's just crazy for me that I've been, um, I'm, more of, I'm more of like a track coach, you know? And, and here I'm in with these uh, mad scientists like Corfist and, uh, 
and mm -hmm. Cal Dietz and uh, Dan Victor and Douglas Heal. And it just brought so many different things uh, to my program. I'm slow at learning, but I eventually pick it up. You think that's kind of the next, you know, I don't want to say horizon, but, you know, maybe the, the next piece that, you know, coaches really start to dive in. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to go mainstream here in the next, you know, four or five years, but don't you think that that's probably kind of one of the last things that's going to be, you know, really, really looked at by coaches, by strength coaches, by people who are really, really involved with performance? Well, I, I think, yeah, I think it already has in many places. I know that Clemson a couple of years ago, the year they won the national championship, you know, they have a huge S&C staff and training staff. It seemed like there was like 19 people, but all of them were trained with RPR that year. Uh, we know it's all over the NFL. Um, you know, they don't come out and say, hey, yeah, RPR won the game for us or anything like that. But <clears throat> what, what they're doing is, is using RPR to help people get healthy, stay healthy, um, gain a range of motion, uh, uh, declutter their brain. It, it, it's just a, a fascinating thing. And one of the cool things about RPR is that um, I can teach people in 10 minutes enough that they can be effective teaching the very basic things to their team. Mm -hmm. and, and then if you want to spend, you know, like the next 10 years of your life, learn about this stuff, there's a lot more to learn. I know it was super cool. I mean, the, my favorite session that I, I got to go to, and, and obviously you and I got to, to work together in the last one, that was a blast, but um, it was fun to watch you, you know, actually like coach. So like having some of our athletes come out there and then, you know, you're out there, you know, every, everybody again wants to see, you know, we, you'd say it all the time. Everyone wants to see the recipe or wants to see the drills. How far do you do it? How long do you do it? It was awesome to see you like implement those things and the way that, that you could motivate athletes, the way you talk to athletes, uh, your cues, your buzzwords, but like you could build an instant rapport with them. And I thought that was cool to be able to see as a coach to, to watch another guy coach kids that you know. Yes. And I, I think I, I tell people all the time that as great as TFC is, and it is great, uh, it may not be as good as visiting a coach. You know, I'm going to visit Joey Woody um, uh, this coming fall. I was so impressed with his presentation. And uh, I just think when, when you watch somebody coach, you probably learn 10 times more than you learn during a PowerPoint presentation. And I've gotten really good feedback uh, about my in-person stuff. And I probably need to do that at every clinic I go to, because what I think happens is that <clears throat> Like, like Steve Jones told me this a, kind of as an aside, uh, he was telling me I'm worth more than I'm charging for consulting. And he said, he said, you have to look at it like you're not giving people an hour of your time. You're giving them 40 years. You're giving them 40 years of learning um, for an hour. And, and so that's kind of what I think those in-person things do because I think people, when they see it, first of all, they see, a bunch of nuance that I do, uh, you know, like things I don't even realize that I do that I've done for so long that it's just second nature. And then I think the other thing people come away with is that I'm such a simplifier that most people observe my work and, and they feel confident that they can take it home. It's reproducible. And, and I, I think they get a good idea of how simple a speed workout can be as long as you have very high standards. And 
I think when you tell kids that a speed workout is 82 seconds of work, you should be able to get big effort from those kids. And, and man, what, what great athletes you guys got those four kids I was working with. I, Steve Jones asked me, he said, were they good athletes? And I said, well, I don't know how good your kids are at Kimberly, but I guarantee you would take your first four and trade them for the, those four. And, uh, um, <laughs> he, 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 I bet, I bet, I bet, you know, so, so yeah, you guys, if you guys don't win the state championship next year, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> well, I said, I mean, yeah, we, I mean, we got some dudes, but I mean, it, it's, it is cool to, to see those guys like respond to you and stuff like that. I mean, I, I think so many guys get, get bad raps and they get mad about guys going to clinics and guys going to do that. Like our guys were like excited because they, they know who you are. Um, we talk about you all the time, like, Hey, you know, coach Holler is where we got a lot of this stuff. And they're, they're super interested in that. So literally all four of those guys kind of jumped at, you know, the chance to do it. And I, I kind of told him like, I go, Hey, just go into it with an open mind, but he's probably going to coach you pretty hard uh, and make sure that you guys do it right. And I think, you know, right away and you kind of set the tone again, you're kidding with them or whatever, but you know, they do the first time through you guys. All right. You guys kind of half-ass that one. I <laughs> see the look on their face, you know, they're kind of like, Oh, whoa. He's like, I want you guys to do it. You know, how you would normally do it. Let's go full speed. Yep. And I, I've been lately saying a lot of stuff like, like on a scale of 10, let's turn it up to 11. If you can drive your knee a quarter of an inch higher, let's drive it a quarter of an inch higher. If you can hit the ground with two Newtons more force, let, let's hit it. Let's hit it a little bit harder because if in a feed the cat situation, um, if, if every team that we're working or the, every team that we play works harder than we do, you know, works longer, harder, less rest, less recovery, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and we're out there just doing a few things and laying around like a cat in between. Uh, our, our on times have to be like super on, you know, like I, I say that we, we need to do those drills caffeinated. And I don't mean literally caffeinated, but, but maybe, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with being a little bit juiced up because if we are not like that, then we are not changing our nervous system and speed and jumping pretty much all movement is, is comes from our nervous system uh, that, you know, we have a muscle focus uh, in, in sports today because the weight room, we see signs that say, you know, champions are born here you know, on things like that. And it, it's all BS because, you know, weightlifting is really good for you and strength is really important, but speed is weight room without sprinting is slow strength. Mm -hmm. And so we have to learn how to apply force in a very short amount of time. And then what we have is power. And I thought Joey G just said, as well as anything you know that 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 strength that mass without speed is is just it sucks and i think that's that's happening in division one football programs today where even though uh, ray and blue and people like joey g and you know like, like a handful there's maybe a handful of colleges that are really really good at this stuff um the rest of them are just bodybuilders and uh power lifters and they, they don't sprint. They say that sprinting causes injuries. Uh, we, we do lots of accelerations because they're afraid of getting hurt. So they never push it. And so isn't it crazy? Like some college players never do sprint training until two months before the combine. 
And if it's so damn important to the NFL, why isn't it important in college? And uh, it's just crazy the world we live in like that. But, but yeah, for sure. It's just, uh, that's what's so exciting about the whole feed the cats movement. And it's everywhere now uh, that, that people are starting to get it, that you, you can lift as much as you want, as long as it does not mess up your sprinting. Tony, what was your quote you had about, uh, I want lifts that the, was it that the great athletes are good at, that the sprinters are good at? It was, it was something along those lines. Yeah. I loved it. And it doesn't sound like it did because I forgot how it was, but I got the message behind it. Uh, I, I really loved that quote you had. Yeah, when I'm talking to meatheads, and, and when I say meatheads, I'm not talking, you know, like they're assholes or something. Um, when I say meatheads, I'm, it's kind of a loving thing. You know, it's people who are who work in weight rooms. And so when, when, when I talk to weight room people that I call meatheads, um, you know, I will say things like, show me one lift in here that fast people do well and slow people don't. And there's no damn answer, period. <laughs> There is no answer. Now, some people will go right for, you know, like something that the bar moves fast, you know, like a, a clean. But if, if you see somebody moving the bar at two meters per second, it looks dangerous. Um, well, sprinting is 10 meters a second. And if you're, if you're elite, you're 12 meters a second. So the most extreme thing you can do um, in terms of your central nervous system is to sprint at full speed. That's why max speed sprinting is the most important thing you can do. So when, when there's nothing in the weight room, there's a K, KPI of speed. And all, I was going to say, I didn't complete my thought. When somebody says, oh, well, the, <clears throat> the cleans, the cleans, fast guys do that really well. And, you know, I'll look over and say, hey, that big fat guy over there in the corner, he, he just did a bunch of weight. Is he fast? <laughs> you know, and they'll say, well, 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 uh, he's just a good, uh, there's no answer to that. Now, the reason I say that is because there's many different exercises that do indicate speed. And that's things like, like hurdle hops, where you're jumping real high, tuck jumping, and, and then bouncing off the ground. Uh, I've heard many coaches say that, that if they never saw a kid sprint and just saw their team do hurdle hops, that they could pick the four guys that will probably be on their four by one because only fast guys do that well. Uh, so we're always looking for exercises that, that are KPIs of speed because if we can identify those, then we can take those average kids or those slow kids and get them better at those things to get them faster. That's why strength in the weight room uh, may or may not improve a kid's speed. Boo Schexnader says that, that the fast, no, the strongest guys are seldom the fastest. And that's an absolute true statement. That doesn't mean that your skinny sprinter should not lift. Hell, he needs to get in there and lift a lot. But, but this whole idea that, that lifting is the only thing, you know, uh, it's actually should be the secondary thing. The only thing should be sprinting or no, I shouldn't say that. I should say the priority should be sprinting and then the weight room should be supplemental. I love that too. And, and I know you'd said another thing that resonated with me and you're talking kind of on the same lines, you're talking about, you know, imitating what fast people do and wow. how, and how, how, how awesome imitation can be. So I mean, it's, it's been one thing I've done with my guys showing them fast and quick releases, showing them full speed, showing them videos of guys who are fast. If you're an offensive lineman, seeing explosive dudes move around and do that stuff. So when they can imitate that and see it, 
man, all of a sudden now they move faster. I've been reading this book called Inside Tennis, which is weird because I don't play tennis. Um, and, and there are some real nuggets of, of great stuff in there where, where a master teacher, instead of giving somebody five things to work on in a lesson, they'll make them stand and watch somebody that's really good. And they won't tell them anything. They won't say, watch for this, watch for that. They just say, watch. And then they'll, they'll say, what do you see? Okay, watch some more. And then they'll put that person out there on the court and their swing is magically improved. That, that we learn, if you think about it, think about how little kids learn. They watch, they imitate. And we gotta be careful because imitation can be good or bad. Like if you're taking your track meet or your track team, excuse me, your track team to horrible meets where people are playing grab ass and throwing uh, frisbees around and, and people are late to their races and they don't warm up. Your kids will imitate that. Your team went downhill because you took them to a bad meet. Uh, the same thing can be said. I know my father being a coach, um, I'll never forget. He took me to see um, an Illinois state versus Northern Illinois basketball game. And Illinois state had a guy named Doug Collins. Doug Collins was the number one pick in the NBA the next year. And I watched Doug Collins score 39 points. And uh, I also watched him in warmups and, and I was better uh, as a 13 year old basketball player because I watched Doug Collins play. And so the more we can get kids to see greatness and it's like you said, it's even like a demo, like before we do any speed drill and we do this over and over and over day after day after day, I will have the best guy on my team demonstrate two great things happen. One thing is that guy that's really good at it will dial it up to an 11 or 12 because he is, he's showing off and that's really good. And then everybody else will see what he does and they will imitate it. And I just think that we, we blow that constantly where we, we're not understanding that imitation is really one of the keys to learning. Tony, you know, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about TFC, now I've been there twice, is, uh, and, and I looked at it a lot more this time, was the TFC guys, the ones that go to all of them, watching your guys' presentations and the way that you set up your slides even. I mean, like, the slides you guys put up, and then I've gone to other clinics, and, and I've made clinics myself, and mine are full of words, and I've got 18 paragraphs on each slide and it's all words and no pictures. Uh, and then I watch you guys at, at TFC and, and it's like a couple words per slide and some type of grabbing picture and you're talking through it. Uh, and I know Walls has talked about that heavily uh, about he, how he now tries to, or, or maybe he's done it for a while, but how he sets up presentations and, and same with his kids, not just other coaches, uh, with a grab, a grabby looking photo and a few words as opposed to reading off, uh, you know, a dissertation of things because people can't uh, stay up with it or, or lose that interest. I just think I just thought it was cool to see that, like the coaching points you guys are giving for kids and things. I was taking that out of even the way that you guys set up your presentations. Well, I, I think it's brilliant for you to recognize that because I don't know if everybody recognized that. And I probably do a better job with that than the other presenters. And I'm not bragging. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you why I do a good job with it. <laughs> and because I read this book, um, it was a, it was a book on Ted talks 
and it said you got to find a good picture mm-hmm. and then not drown the picture with words and mm-hmm. and that your 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 slideshow is is not your script your slideshow is your um is your path mm. that that when I when I have a picture up there and it says tired is the enemy, not the goal, I can talk about that for 10 minutes. And and I see people, you know, like they, they say that, uh, you know, ne- never I, th- I think in that book, it said never more than seven words on a slide. And I, I violate that once in a while. But here's the deal. I, I know that I violated that rule if I do that. And I, I make sure that I'm not given um eight straight slides that have 10 bullet points on each slide, because then I'm, I'm just reading off of those things. And I think people will appreciate uh, your delivery more if you're not reading, if you're, if you're talking about something. And then also it allows you, if you're not staring at your written words, it allows you to see somebody looking, um, looking like they're not understanding, or my favorite thing, head nods. You know, when you see people nodding their head, you know, it's my favorite thing in the world as a teacher or a coach to have head nodders on my team. And by the way, um, one of the best things you can do as a teacher and a coach is teach your kids to head nod. That if they are understanding what you're saying or they agree with what you're, stand, uh, with what you're saying, um, teach them to nod their head. And that gives you a lot of confidence that you're getting through to them. And, and then if they're not nodding their head, you know that they're not getting it and you need to explain it in a different way or show it in a different way. So I, I think those things are really important, but yeah, I, I, I just, I'm, I feel really good about five or six years ago. I can't remember what the exact, it was really about Ted Talks. So it's about making mm. PowerPoints and right. by the ever previous presents, it's a, you know, like a two hour read or something, but it's worth reading. I love how you always put in, you know, stuff from the classroom too. I mean, you're always going to tell some stories about you teaching and, and add that in there. I know, you know, you, as you're mentioning that, that's like one of the things I learned as an instructional coach. And then now I'm teaching it to the kids. It's like, Hey, you're going to be asked to do projects. You're going to be asked to do presentations. Here's how we do good ones. You know, not just letting them slap something together and, and suck at it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, um, you know, the ability to present, you know, uh, what does Steve Jones say? He said that the two biggest fears uh, uh, of people, number one is public speaking and number two is death. You know, so, uh, um, so yeah, people are scared to death of public speaking. And I get real nervous when I public speak. Uh, my wife is like, no way, you thrive on it. And, and, and it's weird that you can thrive on something that you also get nervous about. And, um, and I know sometimes my, my neck flushes and I can feel it when it happens and I can't stop thinking about it and stuff. So everybody has those things. And then you just, you know, try to remember that your message is more important than how you look or what people think. And so you just, you just fight through that and, and go on. And, and I'm lucky that I have a message that, uh, that not only I believe in, but it's so good for coaches and kids that, that, um, that no matter how nervous I get, I'll keep talking. Speaking of great for kids, I mean, how refreshing was it to, you know, sit up there and listen to a Division One head coach? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. That had to have been the first Division One head coach that's ever come to a TFC, right? Yes. I mean, I mean as far as, as as a football coach. Yes. But I mean, how 
how, how refreshing was it to like hear his message about, you know, the importance of kids and then literally how simple their program is? Um, he just blew me away. And I kind of knew he would uh, because, I mean, like, I mean, I, he's like, I make fun of like college football coaches uh, and I don't make fun of him. Uh, everything, every video clip, everything he says, I want to see, I want to read. Um, I would love uh, to, you know, send my, my grandson to play for him someday. Uh, I mean, he just, you know, he didn't have slides either. He just got up there and talked for 60 minutes mm -hmm. and it was fascinating. And, you know, usually I'm getting pretty tired because there's a lot of stress that's in TFC and I'm old now and everything. And I was just on the edge of my seat and he just captivated an audience. And, you know, I, I think that it's, it's kind of like Steve Jones. Um, yeah. I told Steve Jones one time that I don't know how he pulls it off. Um, even like the book that he wrote, uh, if anybody tried to write a fictional football book about leadership, I would probably throw up halfway through it. I mean, like it would be the corniest thing in the world, <laughs> all kinds. Of, I mean, it would be just full of cliches and, and I would, I would see right through it and he pulls it off. Uh, I mean, I think I cried three or four times during his presentation uh, because he just drips with authenticity. Um, I believe him. And, um, and the same thing with, with Campbell, um, Matt, both guys, by the way, if you think about it, they showed vulnerability during their talks. Uh, Steve Jones talked about his childhood and his alcoholic father uh, and, 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 and being a scared kid and things like that. Uh, whereas uh, Matt Campbell talked about uh, being the worst coach in the country in 2019 and having a senior meeting and asking, you know, like, I need to know exactly what I'm doing wrong. And, uh, and that vulnerability just brings a crowd right to you. You know, they're both just fascinating people. Uh, I know it's, it's benefited a ton of kids and, and uh, it, it's really, you know, kind of changed the way that I look at, at what's important to me and, and the group of kids that I'm, I'm looking to bring up. Uh, and so Walls was talking to me again that we call and he tells me, you know, I called him, told him about when you guys were in Texas. Okay. These are things I liked that were cool, this and that. And then we had the same thing happened after you guys got done in Iowa he was telling me because of, um, you know, something that I've been working on, I've been changing my, my cues for my offensive linemen forever. It's kind of been like, Hey, feet up. And that, you know, you start from the ground up when you're talking to linemen and that was almost like cutting edge at one time, Hey, feet up is where we're starting. And then it got to where, like, it was really heavy and heavy into, if you're going to go to the right, you're shoving off of your left foot. You know, don't think about moving your right foot, thinking about shoving through your left foot. And and that was really cutting edge for a while. And now I've gotten to where I've listened to a few people uh, and and the foot's great, but that is so far away from the middle of your body and your foot can't move until your hip moves. Uh, so if you're moving your foot, your body's not moving uh, as an offensive lineman. Your foot might move, but your body's not moving through space. And so now I've kind of started to transition to uh, talking about moving through our hip first. If I'm stepping to the right to take a step, you know, and, and run blocking, 
I'm more focused on let's move my right hip forward in space and, and my foot will follow quickly. Yeah, I still want to shove off my opposite foot, move my hip. Coach Walls was talking through, and I don't know who the speaker was, that you guys at, at TFC, uh, someone there was talking about putting tape on on one of, I want to say the sprinters maybe, Walls, hips. Yeah, but it was, Coach, it, it was uh, Dr. Ken Clark, and when they were talking about coming out of the blocks, seeing hip projection by using that tape or using the, uh, I can't remember what it was, like the reflective tape, you know, yeah, the things that makes sense. Yeah. Go ahead, Harper. It, it, yeah, well, well, that's why I, I was just curious, you know, what talking through like, you know, moving hips and, and stuff, what is it that, that you guys are, are seeing? And, and maybe you're not in, in that part of it, uh, but what can you tell me about having those coaching cues that are more centered to the body as opposed to, uh, you know, talking about kids moving their foot, talking about moving things like their hip, things that are, are more centric to their body? Yeah, I know it's a terrible question, but I, I don't know if I can answer that question as directly as you want, but I do love the, the conversation about cues. And I love the fact that you are searching, searching for better cues. I've co coached track for 40 years and I am still searching for cues, you know, because just because you say something does not mean a kid understands and gets it. Like, like my main cue for sprinting is, is get tall. I think kids can get that. When I say get tall, I see them get tall. Um, when, when I see them, or um, when I say uh, big in the front, they get big in the front, you know, like through wickets and things, I, I think they, it, that's a good cue. But I'm constantly looking for better ones. I'll tell you about a mistake I made. Um, about six years ago, I, I wrote uh, a good article called uh, Vertical Force is the Holy Grail. And so I got kind of ate up with all that stuff. And I started saying, let's hit the ground hard when you run. And it turned my beautiful sprinters into, you know, like Frankenstein's or something. They, they, that, they did not react well to that cue. So sometimes the thing that you want them to do cannot be cued. Or the thing that you want them to do, you're shooting a cue at them that your college coach has shot at you. And somehow you got it and they don't. Right. So <laughs> you've got to constantly look for things like that. And, um, and it's interesting how really, if you think about offensive line play is very similar to coming out of the blocks and, and, you know, you're, you're looking for, for the right angles and, and the right mechanics and all that stuff. And so you've got to come up with things that you look for. And when people are coming out of the blocks, there could be five different sprint coaches and all of us see slightly different things um we, we can all agree on what a good start looks like but the things that we choose to cue might be really different and we can circle all this stuff back to, to brady talking about seeing me coaching those four kids and it's it's like the cues that i use that people may get from a live coaching situation that they never get from a powerpoint and so that's why it's so important for you, Rowdy, to, you know, I'm sure you do this too, but to visit um, offensive line coaches, you know, and, and see what cues they're using to get through to their athletes, because I don't think we're ever quite there. I know that along the same lines too, like Harp and I, we talk about like, you know, Harp, Harp will go work a camp or something like that. And he'll talk about a coach and, and, and Rowdy will ask like really 
deep level questions or in-depth questions like that. And the guy won't even know what he's talking about. So I mean, again, it kind of reiterates, you're like, oh man, well, how's this guy doing it? So it's, it's kind of weird. Sometimes you, you feel like you'll go find guys that, you know, you think that they might get it or all of a sudden then you kind of find out, oh, this guy just works with freaks. And this guy <laughs> just has really, this guy just has really good athletes and it's not going to really help me much. So, or it's, or it's possible. It's possible yeah. that that guy is a master at not talking, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that he waits till he sees something that's really, really important. And then he fixes it and instead of, you know, like the worst coaches in the world will, will, will shout like 10 cues out in, in five seconds, yeah. you know, like, like, you know, sometimes the masters, uh, when they talk, their athletes lean in to hear because they only talk when they're sure about something. So it really leaves it open for all kinds of different coaches. I'm sh there's tons of coaches that are imposters out there that, that don't know much. And they're just, they, they were chosen for a job and they go out and fill time. And as long as they have great players, you know, everything works out for them. But I, I do think there's all types of ways to coach. I've, I've known so many quiet coaches in, in my day and especially in basketball, you know, like John Wooden said very few things, whereas Bobby Knight, you know, constantly talking, you know, and I think they were both good coaches. I've seen several offensive line coaches to your point um, that made, they were still good athletes, but in my opinion, made really good offensive linemen, really good athletes slower and not as good uh, because they overloaded them or because they had a great athlete that did it right naturally. Cool. And then they tried to coach them into some other way instead of just, okay, he's obviously got it. I don't really need to talk about, like you said, anything to that kid. His, it makes sense to him. Right. And, and boy, you're opening a whole new can of worms when we talk about, about how in the world, I believe you asked this question in Texas, Rowdy, that, you know, about conditioning for your offensive linemen. And, and I think I answered you in some um, um, like cagey way, like, I'm just glad you're, you're asking that question you know, because you're thinking about it. And uh, that's not a very good answer to your question. But I think the important thing sometimes is to think to yourself, the way we've conditioned offensive linemen in the past makes no sense. And it is not healthy. Um, what is healthy? And what, how should we change things? And, and I don't think football coaches have asked them that question enough. And it all goes back to tr the traditional approach is this is the way I was coached. This is the way um, every coach I've ever seen coaches kids. And, and it's just, to me, sickening what we do to offensive linemen when they're running gassers at the end of practice. And there's a reason why offensive linemen are the people that die during conditioning. And it's because uh, the speeds that they're required to run at the end of practice are, are way too close to their maximum speed. And they can't, they can't send blood to their skin to dissipate heat. And, um, uh, and it, it's just really sad. Whereas those, uh, those wide receivers, they're run at like 30% of their speed and, and <laughs> making times easy. And yeah, that just makes me sick. They do it. It's not, they're getting there. And I've always thought, Hey, those guys are getting slower. They don't ever have to run hard. These linemen are running as hard as they possibly can to make this time. I, but I always looked at it in a terrible way. I always looked at it like the times must be off. 
why aren't those skinnier guys having to run harder and all the offensive linemen, they, they must be wrong times. Uh, I'll tell you what I've gotten the most out, and I've gotten a ton out of everything you talk about and, and TFC talks about. The biggest thing I've gotten, and it's a small thing, um, and, and it's crazy to come about some of these things because you guys will never give – almost never give like a straight answer. And that's what I got to tell some <laughs> coaches. I got to go in there. Like you said, you've got a cagey answer. They're like, I don't know. And I'm like, just trust me. Doesn't matter what you ask. They're not going to give you like a precise do this, this, and this. They're going to give you, like you said, here's here, you know, how to cook is up to you. And here's some of the ingredients and, and let you kind of go, but here's their, their, here's their thoughts. And, and walls does it to me all the time too. So uh, I'm used to it. But the biggest thing I've gotten for mine is, I've always been about effort and I think I'll be about effort until the day I die. I think it makes my guys look faster than they actually are. If they're through a play, if they're giving a hundred, whatever, as fast, they're going as fast as they can go. And the defense alignment is going 80% as fast as he can go. To me, my guys are, uh, you know, giving, they look faster on film than the defense, whether they are, or they aren't. I think they, they look faster. And I think I'll always be that way. But my biggest difference was how I got that out of my guys. Um, I think in early in my career, which I still am, but earlier in my career, it was wherever we go, if we're around the football field, we are sprinting. So we're sprinting from drill to drill. We're sprinting inside of the drill. We're sprinting over to this. We're going to be tired when we go to team and inside. And we're going to always be sprinting everywhere we go around the football field. Where I've changed in the past two years is as we go through a drill, we're going as hard as we possibly can through that drill. If it is a full speed drill, uh, if it's a walkthrough, it's a walkthrough. If this is a full speed drill, I want 100% of your effort through it. And then the minute you get done with that drill, I want 100% effort out of you to rest and be ready for the next time it's your turn in the drill, which is hopefully a minute later, for you to again give 100% of the effort you have through that drill. When we're going from station to station, we're not sprinting anymore. If I could get away with it, we would walk. And there's times that we do walk. It depends on the head coach. Now, sometimes you've got to like barely, barely jog to get out what they want out of it. But uh, we're not doing all the, the stuff in between. I'm asking my guys to go as fast as they possibly, hard as they can for those four to five seconds. And now let's be extremely active in our rest and get everything out of it that you can um, so I can get full speed out of them uh, when they are going and, and I've seen a, a huge imp improvement from my guys with how good they are at what they do because they're not at 70% halfway through a drill and now they're doing things poorly in that drill. Well, I, I love that and I love hearing your evolution and I have a feeling like you may, there may be another branch to your evolution and what you described to me um, is something that, that I talk about a lot now is that performance and effort are two different things. Mm -hmm. that, that effort is trying hard when you're tired. Performance is, is being quick and explosive. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think even though you will probably always say effort because that was what was drilled into your ears as, as an offensive lineman, and, 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 and that was a, a badge of courage for you. But really, if you think about it, by resting, you want them to perform for four or five seconds. That, that, that effort is not quite as good as performance. And so this whole thing that we want to perform in practice is the revolutionary thing with Feed the Cats. 
um, that, that all coaches have always demanded high effort because they burn the stake every day. And that's all kids could give you is effort. They couldn't give you performance because they were too damn tired. And it was the coach's fault. So, so the idea that we want kids to perform in practice changes everything. It changes what you're talking about, you know, like, like, like working hard at rest. I mean, like, like really, really breathing uh, mindfully during that, 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 that time in between plays. And, and hopefully they learn to do that in the game too. And, you know, Brad Dixon, who, who really piloted um, the sprint based football, feed the cast football thing said that the hardest thing for him being a high effort meathead type of guy is that, is that he didn't like the walking in between stations. He didn't like the walking back from a route. Um, but he understands that if you are looking for performance, then that recovery is the foundation of performance that you, that you must, you, you must rest. And, and when people hear that Dan Casey, um, who just got a pretty good job down in the Houston area. Um, and, you know, to hear that Dan Casey, who also kind of piloted this no conditioning, high performance type of program uh, down in North Carolina, that, that I love when he said that he put in a halftime in his practice. And, and the people that were most disappointed in it were his assistants because they are used to hustle, hustle, hustle. You run to the water break, you run back from the water break. And then, and, you know, we, we, we've all been through those practices. And basically, uh, you know, if there was one slogan that I could use, probably is my number one slogan, is that tired is the enemy, not the goal. And, uh, and, and that, I think that revolutionizes, uh, you know, I don't know how, how you implement that into practice, you know, sets and reps and how long you go and all that stuff. But if you really want to perform in practice, you better have some downtimes. I love, I love what you, you, the way you describe it, you say choppy, you know, practice should be choppy, right? There's going to be, there's going to be high performance times and there's going to be lulls and rest times, whatever it might be, but you got to get, you got to get comfortable seeing choppy. But to me, the, the best part is then I get to see and be a fan of high performance. I see amazing plays being made. I'm seeing yeah. guys hit maximum speeds. I'm seeing guys roach dudes when they're, when they're blocking them when I get to see like those great plays, like that's what I want to emphasize. And that's why I celebrate so hard as a coach. Cause I think then it, it feeds off to the other coaches and they're like, yeah, that's why we practice this way. So we can have five right. unbelievable plays instead of 15 half-ass plays. Like, Oh man, we got a lot of right. reps today. Like, no, give me the highlights, man. <laughs> the tradition in football is to practice in third gear and play games in fourth. Mm -hmm. And, and what, what feed the cats or sprint based program says that even if it takes more recovery than it takes in, during the game, let's be in fifth gear in practice and let's play that game in four. And, and then let the game, let the game be the hardest thing you do. You, you talk about a hard thing for any coach to say, it's like, it's like they may not be able to say those words without, I mean, it's just so hard, you know, to, to say those things. And I, I go back to what Matt Campbell said, you know, that, that the best thing they've ever done, the best thing was when they brought in their new SNC coach, who uh, I've had two different people report to me that he's a feed the cats guy. I don't know awesome. if that's true. I cannot verify that. And I'm sure that no college strength coach would ever say that I got my ideas from a high school track coach. So I, I doubt if he would ever admit it. But two people have contacted me and said he's a feed the cats guy. And then with Matt talking about 
how they went away from a grind mentality and and that they started thinking of conditioning in different ways instead of like torturous stuff in you know, a practice if you remember they would do a, a cluster of five plays mm -hmm. super high speed i mean like just i mean talk about you know like fifth gear i mean we're talking about game speed plus and then they'd move them off to the sideline and another group would come out and do five plays while the other kids were getting coached up or doing some fundamental stuff because they didn't want to like slow down those five plays. So they did five plays. Hell, they may be, may be watching video on the side. But what that is, is fifth gear play and then, and then a downtime. I call it a wave action. It's a high, low, high, low inside of practice. And then you also talk about a high, low in your practice week. You know, like, like I say, there can be three high days. Well, the three days previous to those three high days should be like pregames. They should be low days. And every coach knows what pregame looks like. You, you just, you can be snappy, but it better be short. Or it can be a little bit longer, but it better, be, better not be very intense. So that wave action of practices, I think that's the way it should be. But it's really important, too, to have that wave action in practice. I'll tell you the nice part, too, about being an offensive line coach and, and trying to go more that way is when we're all walking off the field after practice, and, and the biggest enemy to an offensive line coach is the defensive line because every big athletic kid wants to play D-line because they get to tackle people. And I always want the big, freaky athletic guys to come play for me uh, so we can be really good. Uh, and, and the best part for me, and it's happened several years for me, is we're walking off the field and the defensive line is doing some kind of a sprints over and back and they're doing this extra conditioning at the end and, and all this. And, and every time we go by it, I get to tell those defensive linemen and my guys, hey, doesn't this look a lot more fun? We're going inside to go eat, get water, and we're getting out of here. You guys are over here doing this. Why don't you come play offensive line? And and my guys love it, and I've I've stole a few defensive linemen because of it. Hey, you know, you are you might be the very first feed the cats certified offensive line coach, Rowdy. Because I'm not you're certified, but I'm, yeah, I'm trying. Sir, you're, you're, I, I want to get better. I want. I just want my guys to play at an optimum level. Uh, and whatever, however we got to do that, that's what I want. And and what you just said there is really my life as a track coach. One of the reasons for the Feed the Cats approach is the fact that I wanted the best athletes in the school to possibly choose track over baseball to choose track over AAU basketball. And I'm still fighting those wars. And the war you're fighting is that, of course, the bigger, better athletes would rather play defense because it's a little more glamorous. So if you can make offensive line glamorous, uh, maybe that's the wrong word for offensive line. There's nothing No, glamorous. that's good, yeah. Like that? Good. Well, <laughs> the, 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 more, the more you can treat them like big cats instead of big hogs, I've had coaches tell me that, that you've got to be mean to the big fat kids. And I'm like, you, you could be fired for that, for just saying that. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? You have to be mean to them. Is this like a full metal jacket or something? Are, are you kidding? And, and so, so just the fact, I think when you start treating your offensive line, like big cats, respectful, you give them adequate recovery. Um, you work on speed and agility that looks a lot like 
you're training a wide receiver, all of a sudden their self-image really grows. And then maybe you start getting that, that 6'4", 240-pound defensive tackle wanting to play some offense. It's a little bit harder at our school because our, our defense is feeding the cats too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, so Nick's got all those guys wanting to play deed. It's awesome. But, uh, uh, Coach, we really haven't touched much on, uh, and we're going to have him on the podcast. I got him signed up for Friday. But Joey G, oh. um, I – for again, you know, you, you listen to a guy, Matt Campbell, you know, kind of spill it, spill his guts and say all that stuff. But you, to me, it's almost even more crazy that a strength and conditioning coach was able to say uh, and have a whole speech, you know, about some of the things that he does, because you talk about a tight knit crew, right? I mean, he's, he's gone out on a limb a little bit to do some of these things and the stuff that he's doing, uh, you and I talked briefly about it, but like this next wave of strength and conditioning coaches, I think is where we're going to see massive improvement in not only, you know, player performance, but player safety as well. Yes. And I, I think that you and I are on the same page. Uh, Joey G is the best strength and conditioning coach football in the country that he gets it. He is a speed and power based. Now that doesn't mean they don't lift weights. You know, if, if you see his videos, those guys are stronger in hell and they always seem caffeinated. They always seem enthusiastic and they all look fast. And the, his presentation was the best SNC presentation I've ever seen. And, you know, I asked him, you know, uh, uh, well, this is two interactions I had with him. One, one thing I said was I could never do your job. And he looked at me like, why, why, you know, I go, well, because I couldn't put up with the football coaches. <laughs> he said, I have no problem with our football staff. I go, what's your secret? He goes, numbers. When they, when they see how much my kids improve in the standing long jump, the vertical jump, uh, in, in, the, in the weight room, how much faster they're getting, they're like, holy cow, you know, this is awesome. He said, sometimes I do have to dress it up. You know, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, sometimes we have to have like three lines of wickets instead of one. So it looks like we're busier than we really are. And I'm like, God, that's awesome. And, and then the last thing I asked him was, uh, why is it that you're in the 2%? Why is it that the other 98%, like I'm visiting Northwestern tomorrow to, uh, to talk with their lacrosse staff. And we were talking about Northwestern's SNC guy, the guy that, you know, jumps around sleeveless and, you know, is like a cheerleader. And, and I know for a fact that all they care about at Northwestern is putting weight, you know, body armor, all that stuff. Joey G said, I'm not against body armor, but here's the difference is that Northwestern doesn't sprint. They said, they may say we run sprints, but I'm sorry, but 40 twenties are not sprints. That's, that's conditioning. And mm -hmm. And Joey G, when, when you are timing people and putting out those beautiful posters on Twitter, record, rank, and publish to the max, and you're showing miles per hour, I'm sorry, but miles per hour, that's max speed. That's, mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not 2020s. And, and it's just, um, just fantastic what he's doing. I'm, I can't wait for, to hear that podcast because uh, um, he, he's like my idol now. I, I can't. I can't wait to go down and visit him. Um, we were supposed to do it over COVID and, um, and uh, uh, it all got canceled because of it. So uh, I, I've already asked him, I said, you have to promise that you're going to say yes the next time we have a TFC. And he said, coach, if I can make it, I'll be there. So, 
So I think he's kind of all in. And not only that, I mean, he, he sat in on, he stayed the whole day and he went to, you know, other sessions. And it, so, I mean, he was there to learn too and ask questions and would talk to you, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't big time, you know, anybody at all. I mean, any question you had was just, it was just phenomenal. And, and again, I, I loved all of his answers that he had, you know, I, and I texted Harper a few and I'd showed him a few of the slides, but, you know, talking about the bigs, talking about the big power, the hybrid guys, but like actually timing movements. So First like step. knowing th this is explosive power, this is elastic power. And then you have the data to back it up. Right. So, you know, talking, telling the story about how, you know, is his tackles getting beat because his first steps getting in the ground at 0.5. Well, the, the uh, defensive end, his first steps get in the ground at 0.38. So, I mean, having tangible data to, to actually show kids and then, you know, it's, it's not the position coach correcting them, it's the strength coach. Well, hey, man, if you get your, you get your first kick step down to 0.4, you're going to start winning in one-on-ones. I mean, to me, that stuff right there, it's already next level. I, I'm already thinking of ways, how can I use the, the stopwatch and the times to improve my receivers and the skills that are super important? He's doing that already. You know, when I saw that stuff and, you know, it just, it is so fascinating. It makes all the sense in the world that if a defensive end first step is down in 0.3 and the offensive guy is 0.5, the offensive guy's beat. He's beat on the first step. And when he's talking about that, it really made it clear to me why the fastest offensive tackles at the combine become the best NFL tackles. And they have the longest careers because I, the nervous system, is, is what allows you to run a 3.85 when you weigh 320 pounds. Um, it's the nervous system. Well, it's the same nervous system that allows you to make a good first step. So, so maximum velocity allows you to move quicker to, to put your first step and your second step down faster because that nervous system firing fast is what mm -hmm. it's all about. So if that's the case, then let's get all those big guys faster, which he's doing. But all those numbers that you were talking about, I mean, anybody that can look at that and not say, of course, we need to get faster, not just bigger. You know, I, I just, I don't think, I don't think anybody could ever argue with it. Coach, I'm, I'm curious. So first time we talked and it's, it's been a, a several years on the podcast, it was really like, and maybe it wasn't at the time, but the years prior, it was almost a taboo thing. Like, you were expecting almost arguments from any football coach you talked to. Um, and, and maybe you still do, but have you seen any, any big shift in, in people kind of opening up to what you are doing with feed the cats? Um, I, I would assume you had to, cause I hadn't heard of it, you know, two years ago, but I also don't know if it's just because I've talked about it. Now I hear other people that, have talked about it. And so uh, I'm kind of curious where you've been in, in that process now compared to three, four years ago. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, when I first got out of football, you know, I, I unloaded like 25 years of football hostility into a couple articles. And, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, hitting the Neanderthals over the head with a club. Um, I mean, I, I, was, I was pretty edgy, you know, on that stuff. So I think you're right. I think, you know, out of the box, I came out swinging and, um, and I don't think people understand, you know, like I was an assistant football coach or like a freshman coach, a sophomore coach, offensive coordinator for 25 years. And so I saw 25 years of good coaches, but, but mainly I saw bullshit and, and I just, um, 
I mean, I was coaching two different state championship games, two different schools, two different states, but still I just saw, saw bullshit. And, and so I wanted to get a lot of stuff off my chest, but then uh, the amazing thing happened. Uh, some people started calling and trying it. People like Dan Casey called me, people like Brad Dixon called me. Of course, Brad wanted the recipe. And I said, I don't have that. I, I can just teach you how to cook. And, and so he tells that story all the time. And, and, uh, um, and, and so, yes, what happens now to me, it's, it feels like Feed the Cats is in every football program in the country because the only people that reach out to me are the people who are convinced. And usually when they're reaching out, they're not asking me to convince them. They're asking me what to do with their freshman coach that may resign if he doesn't get to run his kid gassers in a practice. And, and, you know, they're always one. That's probably the biggest question is, you know, we have a staff of 10 and only eight of them are on board. You know, we can't have two mutinies, you know? And I'm like, God, as a head coach, can't you just explain why it's really important? And sometimes when you're first into it, you cannot explain it very well. You know, I've had 22 years to get better at my message and my message will be better in, you know, in five years than it is now. And so it is all over the place. And then here's the craziest thing. It's, it's on fire and lacrosse. I mean, I'm consulting with Penn and Princeton, uh, Northwestern this week, um, where, where lacrosse is like, like maybe, maybe we should emphasize a- athletes. Like we recruit athletes, but what do we do to really make them better? I don't think just lifting weights and doing conditioning is doing the trick. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, <laughs> you've got to sprint fast, lift heavy, jump far, jump high, and let, let the sport of lacrosse take care of lacrosse. And you need to create athletes in the off season. And then in the season, you have to not burn the stake. You can't ruin your athletes during the season. And it makes so much sense to them. So it's, it's really exciting for me, not because I'm arrogant about, oh, yeah, feed the cats is everywhere now, but because people who do it always report, well, first of all, you'll never go back. Once you go drink the Kool-Aid, you'll never go back to traditional ever because it looks stupid to you. But, but the biggest thing is that it's a total rebirth as a coach and totally good for kids. And that's why I get so excited about it. And, you know, um, so, yeah, to answer your question, Rowdy, uh, <laughs> it, it seems like it's in all 50 states and, um, and, and it, it's really a cool thing. How often does somebody tell you, yeah, we do feed the cats, and then they, they go through and tell you what they're doing, and you think, well, you're not even close to, to what I've been talking about? Because uh, I've heard it several times, and I've thought like, no, that, that doesn't really sound like anything that, that I think. Or, or someone will ask, like, do you guys do the feed the cats to someone I know? And they'll be like, well, kind of. And I'm thinking, no, you don't do that at all. Yeah. We, got the fr- we got the free lap, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, what yeah. I mean. Like, they're just that's little things. Get. Like, well, that oh, was we like the, free the, the school I was at before. Like, we did do flying tens. And, and we called that as a group. That was feed the cats. We're doing feed the cats. We're, we're, we were timing flying tens. It was, and nothing else was based off of it, but, but our guy said we did feed the cats at, at one point and he's great and he does great things. But every time I'm sitting there saying, we're not quick, quick calling it that we're doing flying tens right now. Um, but uh, how often I, I think do you you're see right. that? 
I, I think I, I tell you what I have sometimes are coaches that tell me in their first year, they of feed the cats. They were like, just put their toe in the water. Kind of, they still right. brought their kids in at seven in the morning on Saturdays. And I'm like, well, that's not feed the cats. Then, you know, <laughs> right. that disqualifies you. If you're bringing high school kids in at seven in the morning to run them, you are, you're killing cats. So don't even talk like that. But then they say, Oh, but in year two, we, we let them sleep in on Saturdays. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. Are you conditioning it in the end of practice? Only on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's not right. Eat the cats. You, you, you can't do that to your cats. And, uh, but then, you know, eventually, I mean, it, it really takes, you know, people have asked me, like, how, how did I get so creative, not creative, how courageous to go to a less is more? Well, I coach track, you know, which that's the orphan sport. Nobody, nobody gives a flip about track. I mean, they, they're not checking out how I train kids, but in football, if somebody goes out and practices 90 minutes a night and they're not doing sprints at the end and there's some walking in between hard drills, um, if, if, you go, if you go four and five, you won't have a job. Right. Because the average football coach would w- rather work hard and lose than to be soft and win. And, um, and, and that's everywhere. That, that is, that's the nature of football. It's a, it's a manly sport. I think when Belima got the Illinois job, I listened to the press conference first day. And uh, I think he said hard work about, about 180 times. Um, that's what football coaches do. They're all about hard work, which means you're producing workhorses and not racehorses. But if you think about it, he as a player, was probably a workhorse. Right. So it's really hard to get away from that. And I think most football coaches were hard work type of people. Um, they weren't the people who were athletically gifted. Um, and because they made it further than, than they should have with all that hard work, that's what they want to do as a coach. Their, their favorites will be that, that kid that comes early, stays late and wants to run more sprints than he has to. And, and, uh, um, and that kid, that kid's a wonderful kid, but the, the guys that win championships for you are, are, are the, are the fast guys that may not be the first guy to practice every day. And, and, uh, and they're the cats and boy, I tell you, football numbers are down everywhere right now. And if people start, don't start thinking about how their program looks to the average high school athlete, uh, football could die in some places. I what agree, man. About- and I just- Go ahead. Sorry, Walls. I, I'm just curious. What do you do about, um, you know, obviously we want, we want to make this thing as, as we want the best athletes out playing for us. And, and so, and, and here's, I'll, you obviously get hung up in different spots. Where do you, how do you go about, let's say you, you're saying, Hey, we're going to be out on the field running. We're going to start sprints at three o'clock. What do you do about the kid that shows up at three Oh two? Is that a thing? Because three o'clock's an arbitrary number, right? I know, I know. If he's out at three o two and he sprints and he gets what he needs in, he gets what he needs in. But also, it's a team sport, or is it? I mean, I don't know that. That's where I'm. I'm all hung up on it because if he gets there and he gets there five minutes late, it, it's bad for the group probably. 
but he is getting it and he is getting full speed. And I think that's better than him not showing up at all, but it's yeah. not great for the group. So I talk me through that just a little bit. That, that's a great question. And uh, first of all, I am not a rules guy. Um, in the classroom, we had one rule and that was the Vegas rule. Whatever goes on in here stays in here. <laughs> um, if I can't trust you, we're not going to do fun things. And, and so, uh, so anyway, our only rule in track is that you come to practice every day. Um, now, if, if a kid shows up a couple minutes late, I'm like, you better be on time tomorrow or I'm sending your ass home. Um, and so, you know, one time, not a big deal. Uh, maybe you want to address your whole team. Like when we have practice at three, if, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're probably, probably late. You're kind of disrespecting our whole group. And uh, but I, I do think my favorite way to punish a kid is, is to not let, let him participate. Um, there is, and, you know, send them home is really awful, but it's also really awful to not let them participate um, and have to watch practice. Uh, I, I think, I think that would cure uh, problems probably a hundred times faster than running that kid extra. Um, I, I just, I'm really hugely against the educational benefits of punitive physical punishment. You know, like, like all, all the uh, stuff that we've all seen football coaches do to kids who are late or smarted off or something. And, and no matter how mad I get at a kid, I hope that I'm always thinking enough to realize that, that participation, uh, taking that away from a kid is the, is the harshest thing you could ever do. And I think it works. It coach, you, it worked for us this summer is we, we had a couple of kids, you know, again, uh, June comes around. A lot of guys want to go to camps. You know, they hadn't been recruiting in, you know, a year and a half. So guys would go to camps, they come back tweaked or tired. So maybe they don't lift or maybe they don't sprint, things like that, but they'd still want to practice with us. We could still practice football on Monday and Wednesday. So again, we just instituted policy like, hey, if you're not healthy enough to lift or if you're not healthy enough to sprint, you know, on our sprint days, or you're not healthy enough to change direction, do our jumps, whatever it might be, how is it possible you're healthy enough to play football? And guess what? We, we held them out one time. They were good about it. They watched practice. But like you said, you never had a problem again because those kids ultimately are competitive. They want to be on the field. They want to get better solved itself and it wasn't a huge deal i love that and you know i always say that in sprint training you cannot improve your cns if you have a dead cns you know if if you are if you come in and you have dead eyes i said what's wrong with you carlos oh well, coach i i didn't sleep very good last night and um, i'm having some grill problems so go home take a nap man you know you'll get more good out of a nap now it's hard to do that in football because it's much so much more of a, you know, you're all on, on this squad together, you know? Um, but in track, you know, I just say, if we're not going to get better, I don't want you to practice. And sometimes those kids walk, Hey coach, I don't feel that bad. Oh, I'm fine. I go, well, I don't want you to drag assing in here. If you, if, if you don't look right in our drills, I'm going to send you home. Not because I'm mad at you, but because I care about you. And, you know, once again, I think that, that sends the message. When you send the message that you care about kids' healthiness and the way and their enthusiasm 
and those things so much that you would rather not practice than to see them that way. I think they start taking care of their health better and they start sleeping like they should. And, you know, if boy, if we could teach kids that, you know, what a lifelong lesson. I thought that was one thing that, that Walls did such a good job in, and he talked me through this. He had a, a freak athlete at, at Ankeny that, you know, offered by Iowa to play receiver and uh, went to baseball and got would have been drafted, I think, top five rounds and was also, you know, a stud freak on the track. What I admired so much about what Walls did with that kid was, Number one, he didn't take any credit for the kid, but but he kind of he kept, which is the whole deal, kept the kid healthy as far as what he kind of allowed the kid to do. Hey, I know that you've been doing this. I need you to rest, or I need you to just watch, or I need you to watch film. And and, and hey, don't go do this for these people. And you know things that kind of sound bad, but was what was ultimately best for that kid wasn't for him to work five more releases. Um, it was for him to be healthy over the off season. He wasn't freaking out about, well, as soon as you get done with baseball, I need you to come over here and, and get in these extra couple lifts. I was so impressed with how little he did with that kid, uh, which actually to me made a huge benefit uh, for such a freak athlete. And that doesn't, that doesn't come naturally to coaches. Not because at all. I'm terrible we, at it. We, we come, you know, we come from the church of we're all on this team. We're all going to do it the same way, you know? Uh, and that reminds me, you know, like when, when I had a kid that was, uh, I, I think he was number two in the nation in the, in, in the 60 and the 200 indoors at the new balance nationals. Um, he came back. Um, that was a Saturday. Um, he came back on Monday and he showed up to practice. I said, go on home. He goes, no, coach, I feel pretty good. Go on home. You're going to take a nap today because you're running a fresh soft meet tomorrow night. <laughs> and he goes, okay. <laughs> so he went home. He got to run in a fresh soft meet. How cool is that? To run in the New Balance Nationals on Saturday and run in an indoor fresh soft meet on, uh, on Tuesday night. And then I sent him home for a nap on Wednesday. And, and then... He came on Thursday and all he did is warm up drills. So you could make the argument that somehow I'm creating this monster um, that's, you know, like getting special treatment. Well, hell yes, he is, because nobody else took the plane ride to New York and, and stayed in a, in a hotel two nights and ran on TV and got back on Sunday. Nobody else had that. And so for me, to, for, for me to plug him into a lactate workout on Monday would, would have been the dumbest thing in the world. But that's what football coaches do all the time um, is that, you know, like nobody gets out of anything. And I think to a certain point, we have to treat the team like the team. But, but I think that, um, that you may pay for it someday if that's the way you do all kids. I think, I think ultimately, too, everybody respects it. Like all the, the players all know. You know, I mean, and, and if it's if it becomes kind of part of, you know, who you are and, and what your your whole program's about, the kids learn that and the kids understand that. And the kids, you know, if they knew if they were in the shoes, Coach Walls would do the exact same thing. That's so right. And, and don't never think, that problem. Don't you think that if they didn't understand that, that's on you? Absolutely. One hundred percent. I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. have explained it. I'd say our, our philosophy isn't that. And they they would know Coach Falls doesn't care about me regardless. 
he just cares about his policy, his way or the highway, whatever it might be. Instead, it's the exact opposite. They know they can come to you and tell you those things, right? Like right. Nick, Nick and I joke all the time, like all the kids send us the messages first. Cause it's like, Oh, they're, they're the feed the cats coaches. They're the ones that get it and they can massage it and work it and, and still tell the head coach. But it's like, they know who to go to and tell because they're the ones that care and the ones that get it. Yep. And I think once again, and I think I mentioned it when we did our uh, Q and a thing the other day, that, that when you start putting a kid's health and happiness and, and energy and, and all those things, if, when, when you show a kid that you care about him in those ways, he starts caring about you. And, and that, that, that love thing is, is there's a lot of trust that's involved there that Matt Campbell talked about. And, um, and I just think it's a whole new model. Um, there was not, um, our football coaches, when, when, when I played high school football, our coaches weren't looking for love. They, they were looking for wins. And, um, and we all knew that. And we, we kind of loved each other after a win, you know, but, um, but I don't think they cared about how we felt or how happy we were. Huh. Absolutely. Uh, so before we let you go again, so I was actually listening to a podcast a long time ago, listened to it and it was about a bodybuilder talking about bodybuilding and, and he was talking about how he worked out. And it was the first time I ever heard it. And I hadn't thought about it again until uh, some of the TFC stuff and, and it kind of all just clicked together, but he was a bodybuilder. And, and the way he worked out was if, if his regiment or whatever it was, and I believe walls does something somewhat similar. And, and hopefully you guys can both talk about it. I think it, it somewhat stems from a TFC thing as well, but anyways, bodybuilders talking and instead of going two sets of 10, he'd go two sets of 10. That's 20 reps altogether. And, and his arms would be blown up. He'd be completely sore. He wouldn't be able to move a, a, a milk jug the next day. Right. And so instead of doing that, he would do, you know, 15 sets of two. And so instead of getting 20 reps, he's getting 30 reps. So he's getting more reps. He's in, in all theory, he's getting stronger uh, because he's putting, you know, he's doing more reps, but he never got sore through that. Uh, and, and so then the next day, which I, again, I don't know this scientific, I don't know, but then the next day he, he would talk like I could go and do almost that exact same workout, still feel great the next day, not be sore. And it would allow me to now go another 15 sets of two. And so over that week, I've got all of these reps that I would not have gotten had I gone two sets of 10 and blown everything out. And, and I kind of heard that and kind of went over that in my mind. And then you talk about, you know, don't, don't waste tomorrow training for today. And, and it was just really cool um, hearing that and, and then kind of bringing those two things together. And then I think Walls even has gone through it and, and kind of allowed his guys to work different sets. It, it was just, it's been a cool thing to kind of see everything. And I don't know that it exactly pertains to what you're doing, but just the idea behind it, I thought was, was a really interesting, cool, cool thing. Well, the three things that popped in my head is, is like one of my slogans, never let today ruin tomorrow. I think that, I think that if we lower the dosage today so that we can be a functional athlete tomorrow, a highly functional athlete tomorrow, so that we can perform tomorrow, 
I think that's a real positive, which flies right in the face of every weight room t-shirt that you know has ever been made that said no pain, no gain. <laughs> um, so, so once again, this is revolutionary when we talk about being the opposite. Um, another thing that comes to my mind is doing uh, sets of 10 would be kind of like an athlete doing a 400 meters. Um, you will never get an athlete to come close to his, his personal record in practice running up 400 meters hmm. ever. It will just never, ever happen. happen. But you can have him run two 200s with two minutes rest, and he might go 24-24, where his best 400 times a 50. And if you would have had him run a 400, he would have run a 56. Hmm. So, so by lowering the dosage, we can improve the performance. And if, if we're really into performance, then we should always be looking at, at, at lowering that dosage. So I, I think those are the things that, that stand out uh, more than anything when you're talking about that. It seemed like there was a third thing too. Go ahead, Brady, talk. I was gonna say, I mean, for me, it's you're maximizing the CNS because those two ah. reps that I'm gonna be able to do is I can add intensity or I can lift it with more speed than I would being under tension for 10 reps. So literally what Tony's saying, instead of running the 400, I'm going to run 200s, right? Or I'm going to, I'm going to run something that's a shorter distance. I'm going to be able to tax the CNS and it's going to be more power and speed based rather than endurance based or soreness based. Then that's the, the Dom's effect, right? Two days later, I'm going to still feel that I'm not going to be able to sprint as fast that day. So now I've ruined the second workout of the week because I did these quote 10 reps. Yeah, and, I, and people think I'm dodging the question when they ask me the question, you know, like, like how important do you think the weight room is? Or what, what, what do you tell your football coach about the weight room? And, you know, what I would tell them is don't, don't let it mess up my speed training. And he kind of looks at me like, what the hell does that mean? I said, well, I mean, if you're going to, you know, like crush them, if you're trying to hurt them and make them sore for three days, um, don't do that on Monday, please. You know, do that at the end of the week when they have an off weekend. Um, so, so once again, it seems like what that guy is really talking about is getting the maximum stimulus without burning the steak. And that sounds pretty good right. to me. Tony, man, as usual, it's always a blast. I know we can sit there and, and BS forever. Um, just, just, you know, feedback from, from, the TFC, everything's been positive as it usually is. I would think, you know, you got a lot of like-minded people, but everybody keeps asking, is this going to be an annual thing at, at Iowa? <laughs> and I, <laughs> I kind of laugh about it too. Cause again, you know, I'm like, well, Tony would probably like to stay in Chicago because I know the original ones, the OG TFCs, you know, in Chicago, close to his home. I said, but I go, we'd probably have as good a shot as anyone. Cause we're only, you know, four, four and a half hours away. So just know that uh, our AD and, and a lot of coaches have asked if this is something we could do again. And I'm like, well, I can't guarantee it's a, it's a year, but I'm sure it's probably going to happen at some point. Well, it, I mean, you hate to overstate it, but it, to me, it kind of felt like a mystical religious experience or something. Like we, we all did some peyote or something and <laughs> just had a big seance because, you know, it was just one of those uh, magical times. And, and, uh, I think if people really understood how good our speaker lineup was and we've never had better and we will, pro no, we will never have a better speaker lineup 
than what we had in Ankeny, Iowa. That, I mean, it was just spectacular. And so, so yeah, we're, we're open. We, we think there's going to be one in New York City, Martin Luther King um, weekend next year. Uh, boy, I tell you, COVID's blowing up terrible in Southern Illinois right now. And um, I, I just have a feeling like it's headed back up here. And so who knows if we'll be able to host. Um, we might have to go virtual uh, in December, but, but we love Texas too. So who knows what we're going to do, but, <laughs> but Ank- Ankeny will always be number one in our hearts. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.